Acts 19. Maybe I should turn there too. That might be important. <laughs> Acts 19. If you're there, say word. Y'all ready? We're looking at the sons of Sceva this morning. This is a great story. So if you will stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 20. Verses 8 through 20. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he, Paul, withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's a great story. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Lord, we are blessed with just the fact that we have your word. So, God, I pray that you would use me this morning as you see fit. Pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to the truth and the promises we have in this story. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is The Gospel in the Sons of Sceva. The Gospel in the Sons of Sceva. Now, for those of you that might be first time visitors, we've been walking through the book of Acts since January of 2020. Um, it has been good for us. Uh, and, and this is another passage where I would say this is good for us. This is good for us to hear and read and be encouraged by it. And here's why. Ephesus, the place of Ephesus where Paul is at currently, 
Ephesus is a pagan and idolatrous area. And it, it holds one of the seven wonders of the world. All right? It's the temple of Artemis. And, and this, this area is not, it's not Christian. The culture is so worldly that we're, we see hostility. We see even demonic possession. We see practice of magic. It's a sinful area. But Paul has come in. This is part of his third missionary journey. And he is preaching. Now this is no different than the culture we live in today. We live in a pagan and idolatrous culture. We live in a culture where sin is running rampant. Where sin of even pornography is seen as the norm. Where sin of drug addiction is tearing families apart. We see where sin in our culture is becoming okay and accepted and even at times celebrated. So what is it that we need to hear this morning when we are looking at the culture we live in? I mean, when I look outside the doors of the church, I get discouraged sometimes with the fact of knowing that I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old up in the balcony right now, and I'm terrified to see the world that they're going to be living in when they become my age. Because when I was their age, we didn't deal with some of the stuff that we're dealing with today. We didn't. So what is it that we can get from this text that is encouraging for the culture we live in? Well, here's the main idea I've got for you this morning is this. The gospel of Christ will prevail. That's it. That's the main truth. And that is the most encouraging thing that we can be told this morning with the, with, with the world we live in is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will prevail. It will not be stopped. It will not be shut down. It will accomplish the purpose that God has for it. And through this story here where Paul is encountering Ephesus, we can see how the gospel of Christ will prevail. So I've got, I got five, five points for you. Ready? Point number one. We can see the gospel of Christ prevailing through Christ's word proclaimed. Number one, Christ's word proclaimed. Look at verse eight. This is after, uh, remember last week we saw uh, these disciples of John the Baptist. They had to be baptized in the name of Christ. Paul laid his hands on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, now we pick it up in verse 8. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue, which was his usual practice. Remember, when he would go into a city to preach the gospel, he would first enter into the synagogue. And he entered into the synagogue and for three months... Three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three months he spoke boldly about the gospel. For three months. But then in verse 9 we see something happen. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he with 
Paul withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he leaves the synagogue, goes down the street to this, to this hall where they are uh, uh, having a time of rhetoric and discussion. That's what, that's what this hall was, a hall of rhetoric. And, and, and he's able to discuss within this building, this place, the gospel of Christ. And he continues to preach it. So we see, we see that the gospel of Christ will prevail even in spite of opposition and hostility. In church, are we not living in a day today where people hate you because of the gospel you proclaim? Nobody likes to be told what we were just told with New City Catechism. Nobody wants to be told that they're going to go to hell unless they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to be told that they cannot do anything good to get them into heaven. Nobody wants to be told that. That's offensive. That hurts. What do you mean? My good looks are not going to get me into heaven? My good attitude? My money? My reputation? The things I do, I'm a nice guy. I, and I, honestly, I really am. I'm a nice guy. Like, I, I don't like making people angry. I don't like it when people are angry at me. I try to be a big teddy bear. That's just me. That's my personality. But that does not get me into heaven. Thing is, is we must proclaim the word of God. We must proclaim the gospel. I love what Vincent said earlier about the unbeliever that said it is unloving if it is true that there is a hell. It is unloving for a Christian to not warn people of hell. That's unloving. It really is. But we're more afraid of offending people. We're more afraid of making people mad at us to let them know that they need Jesus Christ. Well, look at Paul. This happens everywhere he goes. He makes people mad. You need Jesus. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And he keeps going back and forth. And they're stubborn. That's what the Bible says. Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. But what ends up happening? Verse 10. This continued. They're reasoning daily in, in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for how long? Two years. Two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Despite hostility, despite opposition, despite what the world's going to throw at us, the gospel of Christ will prevail. It's not going to stop. There are, there are fights going on where, where, where people are trying to get the government to take the church buildings. There are, there are fights going on to where, to where they're trying to get the government to censor what we preach on Sunday mornings. Church, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what next year holds. 2019, we never thought 2020 was going to come like that. We don't know what's going to happen. But one thing I do know and one thing that I have my hope in is the fact that no matter what comes, the gospel will still be winning. The gospel will still be prevailing. The gospel cannot be stopped. It can't. Tell it to us, baby Cliff. The gospel 
of Christ will prevail. We see it first here in Christ's word proclaimed. We see it secondly in verses 11 and 12 in Christ's power displayed. Christ's power displayed. Look at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And or so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, we've seen this on television, have we not? Send in your $60 or your $50 or you plant that seed. We'll send you a handkerchief that I've sneezed in. And it will heal you of whatever infirmities you're dealing with. It's not really sneezing. Nobody. Anyways. But you know what I'm saying. There's that pay this money. I'll send you this rag and it will heal you. That's where they get this from. It's from this text. But understand that what's happening here is it is not the handkerchiefs or the aprons that are healing people. It's the power of God that is healing people. It's the power of God that's working within people's lives. So how is the gospel prevailing here? Through the power of Christ. You cannot stop it. It is not because of Paul. It's not because of Paul. Uh, some, some of my commentaries said that these handkerchiefs and, and aprons were probably sweat rags from Paul's tent making. Blech. Like... That's nasty. (laughs) That does not sound appealing to me at all. But through the power of Christ, people are being healed through these things. Because it is the power of Christ working through Paul. You cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be healing in our Nation, We may not see it on a governmental level. We may not see it on a national level. But we will see it within our communities, within our families, within our church. I'm not talking about just physical healing. I'm talking about the healing that the gospel provides for our spiritual, spiritually dead soul. Christ provides that transforming power. And it's not based on my skill of preaching the word. It is not based on my gifting because I'm not gifted. Paul wasn't. Paul even said it is not based on his on, on, on anything he can do. But it is only solely through the power of God. And praise God for that. That the power of Christ is displayed only by his grace. That we don't deserve it. And it's not based on how good you are. Granted, I do believe pastors and preachers need seminary training. I do believe that they need to know the word. I do believe that there has to be some type of training in doing this. But it's not that the power of God is not found in that. It's solely found through him and him alone. So is the gospel prevailing? Absolutely. And we see it through the display of Christ's power in the people of Ephesus here. 
people are being saved. Remember when we went through the Gospel of John, and we even, we even touched it in the book of Acts, where when, when, when signs and miracles were done, they were not done so that it was as a show. Christ wasn't putting on a show when he was healing people. Signs and miracles were brought about to show that the person doing them, that God is working through them, and what he is saying is true. Paul is doing miracles so that people are able to look at him and say, this dude knows what he's talking about. The gospel of Christ will prevail. We see it in the proclamation of the word of Christ and the power in the display of the power of Christ. And number three, we see it in Christ's name being praised. Look at verse 13. This is where the story gets really good. All right, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now let's, let's stop there for a second. Even in Judaism, there were a group of people who performed exorcisms. That was their job. They were trained up in that. And, and they performed them through the Torah. They performed them through the Old Testament books. They, they, they performed them through the Old Testament Word of God. But when they see the power that has come through Paul in proclaiming the name of Christ in exorcisms, they thought... I'm going to take that. That looks nice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. But what's the problem here? Look at verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, Sceva, there is nowhere in history where there was a high priest by the name of Sceva. There is nowhere written down where the officially there was a high priest named Sceva. So we think this guy was probably a poser. He probably was a self-proclaimed high priest. Y'all know those men? Self-proclaimed preachers and apostles, you know? That's one of them. He's got these sons who are like, let's do this because here's what's going on. There's money in this. They're trying to make a profit off of this. So verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but... The evil spirit answered them, the guy, the, the spirit that they're trying to perform the exorcism. Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? I mean, that that's a spit in the face right there. That's that's offensive. What's coming out of this th this man's mouth? Because basically what he's saying is, Jesus I know. And, and we know throughout New Testament scripture, whenever Jesus would come before demons to exercise them, they were terrified. They knew the power of Christ. They know who Jesus is. James even, even tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. They have the knowledge of who Christ is. But that knowledge is not a saving knowledge. It does not redeem them. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. He's heard about Paul. He's heard through the 
demon phone tree that there's a guy named Paul that Jesus is using to perform some exorcisms. Paul is known in hell for how God's using him. But they look at these men, this demon looks at these men and they're like, I don't know you, man. Jesus, I know. Paul, I've heard about. But who are you? And these seven men, verse 16, they get, they get whooped. <laughs> verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, one guy leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Uh, the ESV study Bible and a couple of my commentaries called this a reverse exorcism. The seven sons of Sceva come in trying to drive the demon out of the guy, but yet the demon drives the seven men out of the house and he takes the clothes off their back. Guys, let me say this. There's a lot we can take from this text. In Christianity, there is no fake it till you make it. Okay? There is none of that. In Christianity, there is, I know Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. There's none of that. These seven men, they're using the name of Christ, but they don't have faith in Christ. They don't even know Christ. But they're using the name of Christ. Church, let me tell you this. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to put your faith and trust in him. The only way that we can overcome any, any demonic influence, any type of sin and temptation, any type of spiritual warfare is through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. So can we stop faking it till we make it? Can we, can we stop that? Because that, that doesn't work in Christianity. You will lose. And let me tell you, there's a lot of that happening, especially in the American church. And I say the American church because I'm not talking about the church as whole. I'm talking about the church you see on Sunday mornings or even the church that people claim to be a part of. We talked last Sunday about this nominal Christianity, this Christianity by name alone, that I am, I, am a, I am a Christian because I've been taught about it. I am a Christian because one time when I was a kid, I walked the aisle, prayed a prayer, and I got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. But that, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a dying to ourselves and carrying our cross and putting our faith alone in Christ alone. I used to say this often here at Red Cross. I haven't said it much lately. But one of the hardest things about preaching in the Bible Belt is we're trying to preach people lost. Because there's so many people in the, in the church in the Bible Belt that believe they're saved because of something that they did. They put their faith in an action or they put their faith in what they're doing now. But their faith is not in the one who has accomplished all things. 
these sons of Sceva, these, these men were stripped naked and beaten because they decided to use the name of Christ without having faith in Christ. Church, we see that not only in nominal Christianity, we see that in the prosperity gospel. That we want to use the name of Christ for our own personal benefit. That we want, we want to use the name of Christ for health, wealth, and prosperity. But not for faith and salvation. Understand, these men who were stripped naked and beaten, they, they were humiliated. This is a humiliating thing, especially for the sons of a high priest, of a so-called high priest. It's humiliating. But can I tell you about the one who was humiliated in our place? Who was stripped of his robes and beaten and hung on a cross to pay for our sin? Who was drove out? Because he was treated as guilty by having our sin placed on him. Can I tell you about that guy? Who bled and died so that we may live. The one that they are claiming. Christ. There's only salvation in that guy. My point is Christ's name is praise. We see the gospel will prevail. How does that happen? Look at verse 17. After this scene happens, after these men are beaten to a pulp and thrown out, humiliated. Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now, I had to use a dictionary to figure out what the word extolled meant. So don't feel, don't feel like you don't know it, because I didn't know it either. But it means to be highly praised and lifted up, magnified, exalted. Because of what's happened, the people have turned to Christ. But wait, the guy's lost. The demon won. Yeah, but what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Can I say that? We see where even when demonic influence tries to have a win, God is still sovereign over it and uses it for his sovereign purpose. So what happened here? People heard that this demon knows Jesus. And people heard that this demon has heard about Paul. And people know that this demon did not know the other guys and completely wiped them out. What they got from that was, is this Jesus might be the real deal. Church, Christ's name is praised so that the gospel will prevail. It doesn't matter what type of suffering comes our way. It doesn't matter what type of opposition comes our way. It doesn't matter what type of spiritual warfare comes our way. The gospel prevails. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can stop God's purpose of redeeming a people for himself. So Christ's name is praised here through this, through this. 
And can I say this? I stole this line from Clint Presley, a friend of mine. He preached this sermon at one of our revivals. Not this sermon. This is my sermon. He preached this text at one of our revivals a couple years back. But one of the things that he said was that our goal as Christians should be to be known in hell. That should be a goal for us. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, we're relying on our strength and our power. That's not what, no, that's not what what he's talking about. Paul was known in hell because Christ is working through him. C.S. Lewis once said, let me me get this right. C.S. Lewis once said that my goal is that when I die, all of hell will rejoice that I'm out of the fight. It's not about us. It's not about our power and strength. But it is about our faithfulness to the gospel as God works through us. So can our goal be to be made known in hell? Can that be our goal? I pray that it is. So that Christ's name is praised through it. I got to keep going. Number four. Number four, not only, not only is the gospel of Christ prevailing through the proclamation of Christ and the display of the power of Christ and the praise of the name of Christ, but it's also prevailing because Christ's people are being saved. Number four, Christ's people saved. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I was talking to Adam about this the other day. Adam called it the Ephesian bonfire. It's great. These people who have, who have turned to Christ, who through the defeat of the sons of Sceva, they've turned to the gospel. They've turned to the name of Christ. They found truth in who Christ is. They are now confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and not just that, destroying it. John Owen once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And they here are killing their sin. What are they doing? They're burning their books. The books that they're using for the magic arts, they're burning them. Now, I am not in favor of a book burning I love books, but if it's these, have at it. Burn it all you can. Don't need incantations. You don't need any of that. This is sinful. And what they're doing is, is they're destroying it. Why is this important? Verse 19, it tells us that the value of these books came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That is several lifetimes of wages for people. Can you, can you believe that? That they see that Christ is worth more than their sin. They've turned to him and they've seen the value of Christ worth more than their sin. The gospel will prevail because Christ's people are being saved. 
Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. They, they, they counted the cost. And were willing to give it up. There's many of us in here who are probably struggling with that. There's many of us in here who are probably leaning on the name of Christ, claiming the name of Christ, believing in the name of Christ. But we're holding on to that sin that we love so dearly. We're not willing to give it up. When we're not willing to give up our sin, we do not see Christ as truly worth it. We see our sin worth more. In Christ, Christ should be our treasure. We are called to kill our sin. We are called to die to our sin daily. We are called to pursue Christ daily. So you may be here this morning and you're struggling. And you've got that sin that you're holding on to, that one sin. And you know it's wrong. You know it's sinful. But you just cannot kill it. Can I, can I give you a word of encouragement and maybe a word of advice? You can't kill it. You have to let God kill it. And it's only God working through you that that is possible. So what do we do? We give our sin to God. Because he hangs it on the cross. That's what he does. We see Christ's people get saved. And fifthly, lastly, we see that Christ's gospel prevails. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We see, we see how it begins in verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And then in verse 20, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You can't stop the gospel. You can't. The world can't stop the gospel. We see, we see worldly opposition in verses 8 through 10. They can't stop the gospel. We see, we see our suffering in verses 11 and 12. That can't stop the gospel. We see demonic influence in verses 13 through 16. That can't stop the gospel. And we see our sin in verses 18 and 19. And that can't stop the gospel. So what happens? The gospel of Christ prevails. It wins. It will succeed. Christ's people will be saved. John 6, all that the Father gives me. I think that's John. It's in John. It might not be John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The gospel never loses. Can we trust in that? Church, this morning, I know we are fighting a discouraging culture. And let me tell you, when we look at Ephesus... 
Nothing's changed. When we read the Bible, we cannot sit here and say that our culture's worse or that it's getting worse. When we look at the Bible, we see how worse it's been. That should encourage us that even in the times of Ephesus, God's working through people like Paul. God will work through people like you if you will just be faithful to him. Turn to him. Let him use you. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Fight your sin. Pursue holiness. Trust in Christ. Let's be made known in hell so that when we do die, hell will rejoice that we're out of the fight. That's my aim. That's my goal. But understand, it's not based on our power and strength. It's only based on God's. Will you allow God to use you this morning? I pray that this message spoke to you. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. We are better than we deserve today because of your grace and mercy. God, I pray that you would help us this morning as we look and are reminded and encouraged that your gospel will prevail, that your gospel will never fail. Despite opposition from the world, despite our own suffering, despite demonic influence, despite our sin, your gospel wins and overcomes. God, I pray that we would trust in it and rest in it. God, there's probably people here this morning that are struggling, that that are dealing with sin within their lives. Will you grab their heart and convict them this morning, God, that they would turn from their sin and that they would pursue you? God, there may be people this morning who have never put their faith and trust in you. Would you grab their heart and transform them? Show them the truth of their sin and the truth of your grace. God, would you help us as a church, as a people, as an individual to pursue you in a way in which hell will know us and that when we die, hell will rejoice that we're out of the fight. I pray that that is our goal, that that is our aim. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.